Hello, everybody, and welcome to Telescope Talk Pro Hangout. My name is Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space, and today we are going to be talking about the 30-meter telescope. This is a telescope that, once it's built, will be the largest telescope ever in the history of humanity. As its name suggests, the objective mirror will be 30 meters across. I know. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking with Dr. Christophe Dumas, uh, TMT. He's the TMT Observatory Scientist and Head of Operations at uh, in Pasadena, California. And he's going to be talking to us about this mission and project. And so I'm very excited to learn more about it. But you may have heard about this project in the news because the site where the telescope was being built was rather controversial. Was a rather controversial one. The mountaintop of Mauna Kea in Hawaii is home to many, many observatories, but it is also a sacred place for the native Hawaiians who'd love to see the mountain sort of left alone. Now, the project was on hold for a while while some legal challenges to the permit to build the TMT were adjudicated, and on October 30th of this year, the Hawaiian Supreme Court affirmed the TMT building permit, allowing the project to move forward. We'll talk about that a little bit here today as well. Um, so we're going to talk about everything related to this amazing telescope. So we're going to talk about the science, the engineering, and all the good stuff that we want to hear about, along with what the controversy has you know, meant to the project and what they are doing to protect the cultural resources of Mauna Kea, because that's really important, and the native Hawaiian community. So we'll talk about all of these things. But let me remind you that uh, Every, let me remind everybody that we are streaming on all of the internets. I mean all of them. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Okay, that's not all of them, but it's most of them. And we hope you'll ask us questions or leave us comments there uh, in all, on all of those places. But we also have a Discord server. The link to that is in the description box, and I have that right here, right below me, in the right below the camera here. So I'm looking straight at it. So Telescope Talk Hangouts are sponsored by OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. And if you're looking to buy a telescope or binoculars, or if you just have questions about the night sky and how to get started in amateur astronomy, then you should check them out using the link in the description box of this hangout below because you won't be disappointed. And they also have a professional division. We had a hangout devoted to that uh, last week, uh, which is dedicated to providing research-grade equipment to professionals around the world. So all you professional astronomers out there watching, if you need some equipment, we've also got you covered there. <laughs> So, okay, let's get started. My co-host is Christian Reddy from Launchpad Astronomy. We are streaming to his channel, I think now, aren't we, Christian? We are indeed. <laughs> hey, everybody, and thank you, Tony, and welcome to Launchpad Astronomy. If you're watching on my channel, uh, this is the channel where we, uh, well, we talk about astronomy. Uh, but uh, over the summer, I did a bunch of videos about the upcoming next generation telescopes, not the least of which is the 30 meter telescope, something that I'm really looking forward to. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it because when built, it will be the largest telescope in the northern hemisphere. So I'm delighted to uh, be with you, Tony, and to be with our guest, Dr. Christoph Dumas. Okay, let me go ahead and bring everybody up. Uh, so welcome, Christoph, to our Hangout. I hope um, I got everything right on our in our intro, but I would like to thank you very much for taking some time out to teach us a little bit about TMT. Uh, why don't you tell us, why don't you start a little bit by telling us what your role there is and maybe give us a, a, a big summary over what the telescope is, is meant to do. Okay, well, uh, first I would like to thank you guys for inviting me, and I'm very excited to uh, share my knowledge about TMT with uh, everybody who's listening and watching. Uh, yeah, so my role as the TMT uh, office is uh, the observatory scientist. That means basically I'm the person in charge of making the interface between the telescope project, people building TMT, and actually the users of the TMT, okay, the scientific community. And also on top of that, I have another hat, which is a hat of uh, head of science operation or head of operation. That means basically uh, my group of people, which is quite small still, okay, but we'll grow with time. Okay, we'll be the one operating the TMT when it is built. Okay, so we are working with engineers, system engineers, optical engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers, all kinds of engineers in order to make this uh, virtual telescope become a reality. Good. And uh, um, let me start, I want to put up, um, let me put up the, I put up a graphic called the uh, observatory rendering. And uh, maybe you could give a sort of a big summary of what the, the, the size of the telescope and maybe the kinds of instruments that will be on it, as well as the kind of science maybe that you hope to do. Yes. Okay. So um, if I'm not mistaken, the image you see. Uh, it's called observatory rendering. 
Exactly. So you see yeah. the telescope, you know, with a with a cut uh, through the dome, so you can see the inside and outside of the telescope at the same time. Uh, the dome itself will be almost 60 meters in height, okay, so that's pretty high, okay, but when you compare it to other telescopes currently being operated on the mountain, it's not that much bigger, actually, because if you look at it, you know, because you can see the inside of the telescope, you see that it is actually, all the space is occupied, basically, okay, it's, uh, it's you know, it's space constrained, and uh, uh, it, it is very compact in terms of design, the telescope itself, but also the user space. Uh, so uh, just you know, from the building next to it, you can you can have an idea about how big is a telescope. Okay, so uh, uh, what I can say is that you know the telescope itself, okay, will be uh, uh, about 50 meter high. Uh, you you can see on both sides some platforms. Okay, we call them NASMIT platforms, and this is where the instruments uh, for science are going to be. Uh, basically, you know, put together, uh, assembled at the, at the observatory, and then operated when they are ready to be operated. Okay, and um, uh, and you can see obviously the primary mirror, which is 30 meter in size. Uh, the small, the small, you know, dark uh, image that you can see on the very top is a secondary mirror, and the tertiary mirror you don't see it very well. It is situated at the very central part of the primary mirror. It's sort of grayish right now. Yeah, I'm going to show that animation for the optical path in just a second. But let me go ahead and show this this uh, rendering of the mirror, the primary mirror. I'm now showing TMT primary mirror. That's the mirror, folks. And how many hexagons make this thing up, Christoph? So we got 492 to make a 13 meter telescope. That's big. That's a lot of mirrors. And the news, okay, I started to tell you guys that, you know, we are trying to make this virtual telescope reality, but it's not so virtual, okay? Because we are we are we are putting we are already building some pieces of it, and uh, we have almost half of the uh, I would say mirror blanks. They are not cut hexagonally yet. They are not polished. Okay, it's just like a pure blank mirror. But we have almost half of them ready. Okay, already made. So about half of the mirrors have already been fabricated. Yes, they've been fabricated, and the next stage will be actually to uh, polish them and cut them. Okay. Uh, so that's, you know, it's 220-something, I forgot the exact number. Wow. Okay. And, and, and so each of these mirrors, uh, they have to, obviously, they have to combine together in order to produce, you know, behave as a single mirror. Uh, how exactly does that work? Like, how do you get them jigsawed and how do you hold them in precisely the same positions that they they need to be yes that's a good question uh well if first it's not the first time we do that okay there are other mm -hmm. telescopes working like that like the cape telescope for instance okay and there is also another telescope uh, called grand Tican in the canary islands which is built on the same uh, design uh, so we have a special uh, instrument called aps okay alignment and phasing system uh, it's actually sitting uh, on one of these Natins platforms that you, you could, I, I think you can see some of them, yes. You see some of these Natins platforms on both sides of the telescope. And, and basically, uh, you know, the, the purpose of this uh, instrument, okay, is not to do science, okay, but it's just to align this uh, mirror uh, in a very fine way, all together, next to each other, uh, so they can actually act as a single mirror of 30 meters. I'm sorry, I think, I think you lost me. Where, where is that in this image? Uh, well, you, you don't see it on this image, but oh. basically what I'm saying is that uh, uh, this instrument will be sitting on one of the platform on, on one side of the telescope. Okay. Along with these instruments. Okay. okay. And um, uh, so, but on top of that, we also, you know, in order to, to make this instrument work, this uh, you know, uh, engineering instrument work, you need some sensors. So each of these uh, segmented mirror as edge sensor and position sensors in order to uh, know exactly the position of these mirrors, the tilt angle of these mirrors, and the position of each of these segmented mirrors with respect to each of the others. Now, I have the mirror or the image called TMT Fred uh, up now, the one that um, has the back, yeah. the, the image of the back plane. I'm showing that one now. Is, exactly. that, is that where the electronics are that keep them? Yes. All? Exactly. So, so you see like a, a fake mirror, which is, you know, transparent uh, in a sort of goldish color. And mm -hmm. below that, you see like uh, uh, the support of the mirror, okay, the support assembly with all the electronics, all the sensors. And basically, this mirror will be pushed and pulled, okay, so we'll be 
deforming the mirror in real time. Okay, so it has the exact shape because obviously, depending on whether you are going to look at uh, uh, in the sky, if you look right on top of your head or if you look quite low on the horizon, okay, gravity will, will have an effect on all of these segments in your So you need to compensate for the gravitational effect mm. and, uh, uh, of, of basically deforming this, the shape of these mirrors and, and make it perfect, okay? Not only in alignment, but in shape as well. So, so a, oh, I was say, so Tony, uh, uh, forgive my interruption. Let me ask, just to clarify, make sure I understand this. Um, so what we're looking at in this image, you know, we have a transparent mirror. That's the that's the gold-ish colored piece yeah, of glass. Yeah. Behind that is the support structure. But to be clear, this is not for the entire mirror. This is just for one hexagonal segment of that mirror. Exactly. And and as this mirror, as the total mirror moves around, you're saying that each of these individual support structures have to kind of work independently to maintain the uniform shape of the mirror. Exactly. Wow, that's that's a whole lot. <laughs> and, and there's 492 of these, right? Yeah. yeah. Holy moly! Optics. Okay. And actually, uh, in Pasadena, because the project office is in Pasadena, next to Pasadena, we have our technical lab, where we have uh, some sort of mock-up of uh, a, a small part of the uh, primary mirror structure, where we can actually have seven of these fake mirrors together. Okay. And uh, all together with the support assembly. So we are testing all this control of the mirrors. We are testing the electronics. Uh, we are testing, you know, ways to actually uh, do maintenance of these systems, you know, all of this together. And uh, uh, that's quite exciting. And we are starting that now, actually. Okay, so that's that's very new for us. All right, I want to I want to show the animation now of the uh, light path. This is a loop showing how the um, how the light will travel through the uh, system. And so this is a pretty complicated system. It looks like there is the, um, I hope this is playing. I'm looking at it. Yes, it is good. Okay, so the light comes in, hits the primary mirror, and then bounces off, hits the secondary mirror up in the top. And then uh, once it's hit the secondary mirror, it hits a third mirror, which I've never seen anything like this before. What do you? What is the name of that third mirror? Uh, it's called the tertiary mirror. The tertiary or, or, mirror. Okay. Actually, this design, okay, is is quite common among the large telescopes on Earth. Okay, like the Keck telescope, Gemini, Subaru, the VLT in mm -hmm. Chile. Uh, all of them are using this uh, three mirror design. And this will allow you to divert the light path or the image plane to different yeah. instruments that are on the telescope, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay, John okay. Suffel was asking in the chat earlier, is this mirror parabolic? Uh, the tertiary mirror is actually plane. No, the, the, plane. Uh, the, the primary mirror, I'm sorry. Oh, the primary it, mirror, yes. Okay. The yes. primary is, is parabolic, and the secondary mirror is... Hyperboloid, okay, so it's... Hyper, okay, it's hyperbolic, hyperbolic, and then there's yeah. a flat mirror that just basically... You know what this acts like, folks? If you're an amateur astronomer, it acts like your star diagonal uh, at the end of your telescope. That's what that tertiary mirror does. And so um, if you have a star diagonal at the end of it, that's what that just diverts it up to your eye better. That's what that's doing. Um, okay, well, let me show some, let me show some instruments. Um, I'm going to show the TMT, uh, what's called the TMT... Uh, uh, instrumentation graphic now. So if you could have that up, unfortunately, guys, I can't show <laughs> them what I'm transmit, what I'm what I'm broadcasting. So I have to tell them what image I've got up, and they're looking at it. Uh, so look at all of these instruments. You want to go through a brief, just a brief summary of what these are going to do? Yes. Okay. So you see, like a lot of instruments here, and actually, you see like one called APS. Okay. So this is the alignment and, and phasing system that I told about mm -hmm. just before. Uh, we are going to use it to align all these 492 segmented mirrors. So it's actually sitting on one of the platforms okay, next, next to the other science instruments. Uh, so, yes, okay, well, first maybe I should talk about uh, the, what we call the first light instruments. That means obviously we are not going to get all these instruments at the same time when we start operating TMT. Okay. Just right. because. Okay. So, so not all of these are going to go go on with with when TMT starts. No, not all of them. It will okay. be like a, a single show phasing of all of these instruments. Okay. We're going to start with a couple of them, maybe three of them, uh, and then I would say like probably every two years 
we are going to deliver a new instrument as a telescope. Okay. Well, then just, just maybe talk about the first one or two then. Yes. Okay. So, but I mean, I, I will talk to more than, you know, the first light instruments because some of them, I would say, are really uh, going to be dedicated instruments to answer really critical questions about science. Okay. And, and so we come back to that later, maybe uh, in this uh, screen. So the first light instruments are going to be iris and you actually see it on the left side of this image. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's a, it's an instrument that works in the near infrared. That means if you're a bit familiar with uh, with wavelengths um, uh, in physics, okay, it's not optical. This is kind of wavelengths you don't see with your eyes, okay. So it's a bit uh, a bit warmer, okay, than optical uh, or visible uh, light, and um, uh, it's between one and two point five micron, okay, for those who are a bit more expert. And these instruments will be able to take images and also uh, spectra. That means we basically disperse the light. Uh, like a rainbow, so we can actually uh, have a, a better diagnostic of uh, the composition of the objects, celestial objects that we are looking at. Um, and uh, But even more importantly, IRIS will be working with another instrument, which is not a science instrument, but which is supporting science instruments, called an adaptive optic system. Okay, And this adaptive optic system is called Nefarious. Uh, Nefarious, did you say? Nefarious, yes, that's a, <laughs> that's a great name. Yeah, and uh, so Nefarious, the purpose of Nefarious will be to basically make use of the full capability of a 30-meter telescope to actually uh, get like the best resolution possible uh, with this kind of telescope. If you don't use an adaptive optics, you are limited by the, the Earth atmosphere, okay? And, and the, your image quality, the precision of your image is not that big, okay? Actually, all big telescopes will be limited in the same way. You cannot get better than, I would say, 0 0.5, 0.4 r-seconds in terms of image precision in your size. Okay? Uh, if you use adaptive optics, then you can go to the diffraction limit of your telescope, okay? which is way beyond that. Okay? We are talking about a few milli-r-seconds okay? uh, uh, instead of uh, speaking about a sub-r-seconds image. Uh, so, this is when you know a 30 meter telescope is really powerful, where you can actually you know, image anything in the sky or almost anything, okay, with an eye which is 30 meter in size with a precision of such a big eye, and that's what Iris will do. And uh, uh, and I yeah, guess I guess um, hang on, let me get that out of there. Uh, so I guess that's really one of the big. Uh, technological innovations over the last couple of decades has been for ground based you talked about the adaptive optic systems none of these instruments that you're putting on these telescopes and large telescopes like this really can do much uh, more without an adaptive optic system and that's what basically makes the atmosphere the effects of the atmosphere the scintillation or the star twinkling or whatever it is that's going on high above our heads basically it just subtracts all that out it gets it, it well it doesn't subtract it but it never it negates those it changes the waveforms so that they you can get a nice crisp image is it good enough Christoph, to rival something in space the current state of adaptive optics now Yes, yes, obviously. Okay, because you cannot build a 30-meter telescope in space yet. That's okay? right. Although they and, want to. <laughs> you know, there are plans. Open. Okay, and maybe in the future it will be possible, okay? Uh, but uh, for the time being, uh, I, I think it, it's too much of a challenge, okay, to put together such a large telescope in space. Uh, so, yes, uh, in terms of image precision, okay, uh, a telescope from the ground, like the 30-meter telescope, can actually do better outperform space telescopes and in terms of, I would say, spatial resolution. Okay? Uh, also, in terms of uh, sensitivity, <laughs> because if you combine these adaptive optics, that's basically shrinking the light exactly where it should be. Okay? Instead of having the light, you know, all these photons spread out by the Earth's atmosphere over like a wide patch, okay? You really concentrate the light where it should be. Then, obviously, if you combine these adaptive optics with a 30-meter glass telescope, you are much more sensitive, okay? Uh, so, uh, the sensitivity of the telescope goes to the square of, of, of the, you know, of the diameter. And uh, uh, so, when you use adaptive optics, you go to the power of four instead of going to the power of two. Okay, so in terms of sensitivity, we can actually outperform sensitivity uh, or resolution. Yeah, that's what I want to clarify. We're talking, about, we're talking about sensitivity. Yes. Uh, what okay. do you mean by that then? 
Yeah, yeah. How's that different from resolution? Uh, the resolution is basically uh, the smallest definition. Uh, I, I would say, like, uh, 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 you know, the, the finesse of your image, the smallest detail that you can actually detect on an image. Okay. I can actually, I have some, if I can pull out. Is maybe, that the same as the point spread function of the telescope? That's what ultimately yeah, limits it's what It's about you... the point spread function of the telescope, exactly. Okay. okay, all right. So basically, you know, the size of your point spread function, if you don't use adaptive optics, is about, I would say, uh, uh, you know, in the best case, in the best sight on Earth, about half an hour second. Okay. It oh, means 500 yeah. milliseconds. Uh, we can do 100 times better with a telescope using adaptive optics. We can get images as fine as a few milliseconds. Right, but and I, I don't mean to push this point, but they, when you say that a, that an image is that the, the performance of a telescope is diffraction limited, what you're also saying is that the you are limited only by the optics, the physics of optics, where when you have an optical system and you do things with light, that's your limiting factor. So the point spread function, I always thought, was a limiting factor of the optics. No matter how well you build a mirror or a lens or anything, you're going to yeah. have some smearing of yes. that. You, you, you always have. Okay, and that, exactly. But how, how does uh, uh, adaptive optics change that? Point okay, adaptive optics by concentrating the light, okay, right. in comparison to a telescope that doesn't use adaptive optics, okay, uh, you will get not only uh, in terms of uh, collecting power, not only in this uh, uh, square of the diameter, but you also get another gain from using the adaptive optics itself. Okay, the 30 meter telescope compared to you know a, a today's telescope of 10 meter class, okay, obviously we give you something like 10 times more light, okay? Because they are more or less like three times bigger in diameter, three to the power of two is nine, okay, let's, let's call it 10, okay? Mm -hmm. So 10 times more light. Now, if you, on top of that, that's, you know, just without using adaptive optics, just because you have a big telescope, okay? Now, if on top of that, you add adaptive optics, you concentrate the light compared to a telescope who doesn't have it, then you gain another factor in terms of sensitivity. And, and, and that makes really something very powerful when you compare it to, you know, what we can get from space today. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Uh, I think I get what you're and, saying. Now. And I would, I would say that, um, you know, a space telescope, you know, advantage obviously is that there is no atmosphere. Okay. Uh -huh. So you, you are not losing at any wavelengths. Okay. You have a free no, you have no sky, okay? So you can observe at any wavelength you want, in the mini infrared, in the ultraviolet, or even at shorter wavelengths. Well, you cannot do that from the Earth because you have these windows in the Earth atmosphere that you need to observe through, okay? And, and on top of that, as you said correctly, adaptive optics cannot correct everything. It just corrects part of the image, okay? So you still have some residual, you know, of the aberrations created by the Earth's atmosphere which are not corrected, and, and the space telescope doesn't have that, okay? So uh, I would say that in terms of stability of your point, point spread function, uh, a, a, a space telescope is outperforming a ground-based telescope because it has a very stable PSF. You know how to model it at any given time. You know what it looks like, and, and this is very powerful. Okay. So you're getting a first, you know, so the advantages are several here. First of all, we have a much larger mirror, so, we're collect, so it's collecting more light than say the Hubble Space Telescope can, but because of the adaptive optic systems, you're saying you're able to concentrate that light, create a nice tight point spread function, which really just increases the sensitivity. So it has both better resolution, but it's also capable of imaging even fainter objects. Exactly. Like, so when you, you know, all of this is comparison to a telescope who doesn't have adaptive optics, so obviously. Okay? Got it, yeah. So that's, that's a comparison between two one-based telescopes. Okay, let me ask the tardigrades question because uh, it's relevant to what we're talking about, and then I want to move to the science that we're going to do with TMT. Um, all those actuators running at a few kilohertz must have some sound. Um, how many actuators are there going to be? That's a good point. Okay, how many actuators? Actually, I would have to look for that. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm a more scientific engineer. I actually don't know exactly how many actuators we have. What, what I know is that uh, each of these segmented mirrors, okay, has three points. 
of push and pull, okay? And uh, uh, so we'll be able to actually uh, uh, control in real time uh, 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 over like three three points below the segmented mirror is the shape of this mirror. But at, in terms of actuators, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. okay. So let's move on to, I want to talk about the science a little bit. Uh, the science that is drive that drives everything. You don't just build a 30-meter telescope because it'd be cool. You build it because you want to know something about the universe we live in. What are we going to learn from the 30-meter telescope? Okay. Um, well, like every time, okay, basically you, you are capable of, of making a huge step forward in technology. Okay, You are going to make a lot of advances in terms of discoveries and science. So if this telescope is going to be really like a multi-purpose telescope, it's not really to focus on any kind of science. Anybody who has a good idea can observe solar system objects, can observe black holes uh, in the closed universe or farther away universe, can observe like uh, galaxies very far away or, or, you know, in time and in distances. You can also observe like uh, uh, star forming, exoplanets, anything will be able, okay, any kind of science, astronomical science will be able to do uh, with, uh, with the TMT. But some things that we believe, okay, TMT will be extremely good at thanks to this adaptive optics I told you about and, and some other instruments okay, that are going to be using like an even more dedicated adaptive optics system, will be to look uh, at exoplanets. Okay? Uh, uh, that means planets orbiting around other stars and the sun uh, in the sun neighborhood. Okay? So we're talking about a few parsecs from here. And uh, so basically, uh, this telescope will be not only capable of imaging exoplanets, but it will be capable of uh, studying the composition of these exoplanets. And because of its size, it will be able to, a few of, of these, you know, stars that are potentially hosting planets, uh, maybe like, um, you know, 20 of them, like a dozen of them, uh, uh, it will be able to image any planet that's actually in the habitable zone of this star. That means what we call the habitable zone is a zone where you know, a planet reside, which is not too cold or not too hot. Uh, so actually, presumably, okay, if we make some comparison with Earth, uh, life could actually develop on this planet. So I think that with a 30-meter telescope or any ELT-class telescope, for the first time in history, before actually we have dedicated uh, a space telescope working to do this kind of science only, uh, it will be the first time that we are capable of Imaging and characterizing the atmosphere of an exoplanet in the habitable zone and as small as a few uh, Earth masses. No, we are not even talking about huge Jupiter size planets. <laughs> That's, I love that. So, finding Earth sized planets. Wow. You're, and you're yes. talking about directly imaging them, not inferring yeah. them from a transit, right. not inferring exactly. them from a radial velocities. Yeah. Transit, with transit, we cannot also do it. Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, we can actually study more planets with transit uh, because we are less limited. Okay, there are more stars that we can actually look at. Um, but in, um, I was talking about direct imaging, yes. Okay, like, wow. But, but does does that mean there's a, there's a chronograph somewhere to block out the star's light? Yes, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, you... Uh, let me look at your diagram from last time. So what the image you were showing... Does it show? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it actually doesn't show it. Okay. But if you look at the image that's uh, currently shown. Which one, uh, which a, one was that? I, uh, uh, that was the one with uh, all the uh, instruments around the telescope. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've got okay. it back up now. TMT okay. underscore instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So at the bottom left of this image, you have something called PFI. And it says not shown. Okay. Uh, because that's an instrument that's not going to be delivered at first light, but later. Okay. Probably like three to four years after first light. And the telescope like PFI, uh, will be able to actually do this kind of science I'm talking about, which is it will have a, an adaptive optic system that we call a high contrast system. It will be capable of imaging an exoplanet that's something like 100 million times fainter than the star it is orbiting, okay, in the near infrared. So we call that a, a contrast level of 10 to the 8. Okay? And, and thanks to this contrast level, 
this high contrast and sense to some like optical devices like the one you mentioned, like called coronavirus, we'll be able to actually remove the, the light coming from the star so we can really concentrate on the light coming from the exoplanet and study it. Okay? So that's very challenging. That's why such an instrument cannot come at first light. You need first to make sure your instrument is performing in the maximum way in terms of no more vibration, everything right. is running perfectly. So we need two, three years for that to make sure that everything is up to standard to actually use such a very performing instrument like PFI. Wow. And and will this have, so, so this PFI future generation instrument, you know, you're saying it has the ability to block out the light from the star yes. and reveal the planet's exo. You said it could even reveal Earth-sized planets. Would this also imply potentially Earth-sized planets at Earth-like distances if it's like a relatively nearby star system? Yes, yes, okay. And wow. actually, you know, uh, obviously we will be very limited, okay? Um, right. Even if you have a 30-meter class telescope, you don't get... That's why I was, I was mentioning before, you know, the advantage of space telescope, okay? Space right. telescope has a very stable PSR, okay, point spread function. Mm -hmm. You know it. You can subtract it very well. Okay, and uh, and you can get contrast ratio with a similar system like a coronavirus and adaptive optics in space, much better than from from the ground. Okay, right. you can get like another magnitude or two. Okay, another factor of ten or one hundred in terms of contrast. So you can actually look at this, you know, exoplanet, Earth-sized planet, even closer into the star. Okay, than we can do from from the ground, uh, and uh, or even smaller planets. So there is still, you know, a huge marge of discovery from space. What TMT will do, it will be probably be capable for the first time to do this kind of science on a subset of stars, a small one between mm -hmm. 10 and 20, maybe a bit more. Okay, and we'll be focusing really on stars like the sun, but also cooler than the sun. We call them M-type stars. Okay, yeah, and, uh, and these stars. Why these stars? Because they are like the most numerous stars in the, in the universe, okay? They are everywhere. So if you want to look for, you know, exoplanets and study them, you want to increase your odd of your chance, basically, okay? The, the probability to actually discover something interesting. So you need to focus on these stars because they are plenty. Okay, I want to talk. We've gotten a lot of good questions on the chat. Yeah, so I want to yeah make I'm sure, getting a bunch of mine we'll as get, well. We'll so, get uh, them. I, I want to get to them, but I just want, but before we leave this topic uh, of science, uh, so exoplanets are going to be a huge thing, followed by the first stars and galaxies, I understand as well, right? You're going to be able to look at some of these w early universe objects, correct? Yes, exactly. Like understanding the, the beginning of the universe, pushing forward the limit of what we can do today, and seeing for the first time, I would say, the first stars forming the first galaxies forming, but even more than that, okay, it would be, you know, TMT will be capable of uh, uh, bringing, you know, more elements to understand the nature of dark matter, the nature of dark energy, all of these kind of things. Also black holes, the physics of black holes. Currently, we can observe black holes in the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Right. Okay? That's, that's the closest one. And we can study it pretty well, okay? But thanks to uh, uh, ELT, thanks to large-scale telescope like like the 30-meter class telescope, we can do the same kind of science on other galaxies. That, that's amazing. So, okay. That's incredible. I really I, – I, keep them cued, uh, Christian. I promise I'll get to it in a minute. I just I just need to move to uh, what's – so uh, we, we've start, you, ground has start broken, right? You are starting to build this now. What's the schedule for when um, when you're hoping to get first light? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Uh, well, as you, as you mentioned at the very uh, beginning of, uh, of this uh, live stream, okay, uh, we had the good news on October 30th to get, uh, you know, the, the approval from the Supreme Court to actually go ahead, okay? And uh, so our, our permit to build is valid and we want to use it, okay? Uh, now, we are not ready yet, okay, to bring our shovels and, 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 and try to dig and uh, uh, on the top of Mauna Kea, uh, just because there are still a few conditions that we need to verify, okay, that were laid out by the, uh, uh, I would say, like the long hearing process that we went through over the past few years, okay, since 2015. Um, and, uh, and we are working on this now. It will take a few more weeks slash months, okay. I cannot give you an exact date, okay, but I would say like sometime at the very beginning of next year, the first quarter, probably, 
Okay, we should be in a position to start construction again on top of Monakea. Okay, so you're still going through some legal issues then. Yeah, some, not not legal issues. Well, not legal permitting issues. Yeah, exactly. Right? Permitting process. Okay. Exactly. All right. Permitting okay. issues, some conditions that were you know imposed on on, on the project construction that right. we are demonstrating that we are verifying one after the other. Okay, uh, and when we have done that, okay, then we can actually uh, use our permit, and so that means these are just uh, administrative steps because. I can tell you that we were getting ready before. Okay, we didn't wait until to, to hear until the Hawaii Supreme Court uh, last month to to start working on this. Okay, everything is already ready. We just need to work with the administration in Hawaii to explain to them that we are actually ready to build, and uh, uh, and then we will start construction. Yes, in a few. Months. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, just briefly, can you comment on the cultural issues that you faced? Because you know, there's a lot of observatories up on this mountain. It is sacred to the native Hawaiians. That's the reason you've had to you've had to show a lot of uh, effort in terms of getting the cultural requirements met. Can you comment a little bit about what you're doing and what you're going to do, not just through construction, but once you're in operation, to keep the cultural heritage of uh, the mountaintop? Skills. Yes. Okay. So first, you know, I want to make a statement that um, uh, first I want to thank you to thank everybody who was actually has supported TMT uh, uh, along these years. Okay. They were tough years for the projects. Okay. We are very happy uh, to actually be back on track and uh, being soon capable of, of resuming construction. Okay. Um, then the, the next thing I want to say is that uh, we are persuaded. Okay. That we can actually share this mountain with everybody who wants to actually use it, whether they are cultural practitioners, whether they are residents of Hawaii or tourists of Hawaii, whether they are astronomers, whether they are you know hunters on the mountain, okay, who are actually using the space to hunt. Yeah, I, we, we do believe these places you know can be shared, okay? And we have the same goal of using it peacefully. Uh, and uh, and we have the same goal of uh, basically res respecting each other in the usage of the mountain. Okay, uh, how are we going to do that? Well, uh, first we want to limit at the maximum, okay, uh, the impact that we are going to have on the environment, and that's why we went through like a, a, an em environmental impact study for uh, the TMT of Mauna Kea, and uh, uh, everybody. You know, we demonstrated that we are actually not going. We are not going to uh, uh, pollute the space, uh, reject any, you know, uh, uh, anything contaminants in, in the soil. Everything will be preserved in, uh, in 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 containers that are going then to be brought down the mountain for recycling. There will be no spill at all on the mountain because of the design of the TMT. We we are sure that we can actually. Uh, uh, be successful in this. Uh, so TMT will be a zero waste facility. Zero waste facility. Okay, Fantastic. everything will be removed from the mountain, uh, recycled in species in uh, in specific uh, uh, by specific companies who are uh, that's a business for them to do that. And uh, uh, in terms of uh, archaeological artifacts and all of this, uh, you know, obviously we show that site because there is nothing around it. Okay, there is no cultural artifacts, there is no burial artifacts. That's what the archaeologists are telling us. Okay? Obviously, when we are starting to build, we might discover something that we, we could not see okay, from just looking at the site. And that's why we will have archaeologists with us monitoring every single step of construction just to make sure that if something is discovered, we, we stop the work and you know, we decide how to move forward in order to preserve whatever has been discovered, okay? So we are going to be very respected, respectful to the mountain, respectful to, you know, everybody, uh, for, you know, to everybody who's actually, who's using this mountain, whether they are practitioners or tourists or, or just residents of Hawaii. You're not just going up there with backhoes and bulldozers and, you know, drive ahead, yeah. take your time, make sure you're not disturbing. Yes, exactly. More mountain as necessary to build it. That's great. Yeah. And also, you know, something very important is that uh, we are saving money even now, okay, and we continue doing that uh, during operations, okay, to actually decommission TMT. That means TMT is supposed to be operating for quite a few decades, okay, probably five, you know, five decades, maybe 50 years, 60 years uh, uh, after first light, okay. And the plan is 
that when we have we have we have stopped, we decide that it, it is time now, okay, to actually decommission TMT because it's not, you know, uh, uh, useful anymore. Okay, we have better facilities either from the ground or from space. We will actually remove the full infrastructure and restore the site the way it was before we come. We, we took images, you know, uh, through all angles that are archived. We exactly know what the site was looking like before the arrival of TMT, and we will restore it the way it, uh, it looked like at that time. Okay, thank you for that. I want to uh, so uh, Christian. I'm sure you've got some questions. So, do you want to read from your channel? Well, uh, sure. Uh, you know, Piper, Piper Trepp was asking, uh, what resolution would we need in order to be able to see stars forming? Uh, how detailed? Uh, and you mentioned earlier that TMT will have that resolution. So uh, can you remind us again what the resolution of TMT is? Yes, we're really talking about, you know, it would be very hard to do this kind of uh, performance in terms of uh, spatial resolution at optical wavelengths in the visible, but we can actually do that in the near-infrared. Near okay. optics works best, okay? So in the near-infrared range, okay, I would say like a few milliard seconds between, you know, four, five, five, let's say five milliard seconds. This is something that we can, you know, routinely we expect to be able to achieve, okay? Will this, uh, well, and just maybe as a follow-up, okay, so. Just to give you, oh, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead, please, <laughs> I'm sorry. A comparison, five million seconds, okay, this is really like 100 times better that we, you can do, okay, without adaptive optics. So we are talking about wow. two orders of magnitude in terms of spatial resolution. Wow. So that's, that's really powerful. And so, uh, so that feeds into the follow-up question. Um, that was asked, will TMT then be able to directly image, uh, let's say, Pluto, for example, yes. or the dwarf planets? Yeah? Exactly. Yes, fantastic. Yeah, good question. You know, good question because as a scientist, I'm a solar system astronomer, okay? Uh, but my field of study is solar system and exoplanets. Uh, that's what excites, excites me more, okay? But uh, in terms of resolution for the solar system, we'll be able to resolve Pluto, uh, Barely Sharon, okay, the, the satellite of Pluto, but Pluto will be able to resolve it. And actually, we cannot do some, some monitoring of, uh, uh, of, you know, any kind of activity on the surface. We know that since, since the New Horizon mission that Pluto is actually active, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, well, it, it will become less and less active when it gets further away from the sun, okay? But we can actually monitor that uh, with a 30-meter class telescope and, and, and see this decrease, for instance, in activity. Uh, same thing for other small solar system bodies like uh, satellites of the giant planets like Io, Europa, uh, obviously uh, 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 Saturn satellites, the rings of Saturn and the, the, the arcs of Neptune, all of this will be able to, to actually image with uh, uh, you know, incredible resolution. Wow, fantastic. Okay, let me ask Neil Yu's question. Uh, can they point the mirror, can they point the mirror or is it fixed straight up? No, you can actually uh, uh, move the telescope around, okay? And uh, until a certain point, I think our limit in terms of uh, elevation from the horizon is close to 30 degrees. It might be 25. Okay, I'm not exactly sure about the number, but it's actually quite low, okay? Uh, and uh, which is good, okay? Because uh, from Mauna Kea, if you want to observe our own galactic center, the black hole in the, mid in the middle of the Milky Way, uh, you need to point your telescope quite low on the horizon because we are in the northern hemisphere. Why, if you know this, uh, this point in the sky is actually best used from the southern hemisphere. Okay, I just put that dome enclosure uh, graphic up for no reason, folks, just because I wanted you to see it. But it's is not a normal design uh, for a lot in, in a lot of ways. Is this primarily an alt azimuth uh, drive? Yes. Okay. Is, yes. Which means it turns this way and then you know, around an yeah. azimuth and then it goes back. Yeah, and in elevation like and, uh, and, and so, azimuth. Okay. I, I have lots of more questions, but it's not my time. I'm going to give it to the guys here. Um, let's see. Do you have another one, Chris, uh, to, to, re to read out? Cause, um, let's see. No, go ahead, Tony. I think you got a bunch of questions in your uh, in your stream. Yeah. Your okay. So, Condor Boss, could the TMT be paired with a copy uh, to make an interferometer like Keck one and two? Hmm. Uh, it would be very it would be very hard to make a copy of the TMT. Okay. Uh, just because it's already quite expensive to build one, and even if the cost of building a second one okay will be lower than building only one. Uh, um, 
we, we, we still cannot afford it. But we can, there are projects, okay, some ideas, to actually combine uh, the light coming from the TMT with the one coming from other telescopes on Mauna Kea. Uh, so we can do some sort of interferometry and, uh, and you know, boost, enhance even further the special resolution of the telescope, yes. Uh, it will be challenging, but we can do that. And it's actually been proven to be feasible. Uh, there was a project called OANA on Mauna Kea, which was just to basically combine the light by fiber optics, okay, uh, combine the light from several telescopes in order to do interferometry between them. Great. Okay. Uh, this is a good question. James Dugan is asking, couple of Earth, uh, he's com- first he's commenting, couple of Earth mass Earth mass sized planets. Wow. Um, how many pixels is the camera and how many pixels would an Earth sized planet take up on the camera? Now, there's many instruments here. Let's just clarify that. Yeah. So there's also <laughs> many camera? cameras. So we should yes. probably talk about what was it called again? The APS? The PSI. PSI, sorry. Uh, that is the one that's exoplanet related, correct? Yes, exactly. The planet okay. finder instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, you cannot resolve an exoplanet. Okay, so it would be just one pixel. Okay, but okay. because because the correction, okay, of the adaptive optics correction is not perfect. Okay, it will spread over several pixels. Okay, but not many. The the pixels surrounding this central pixel, we also receive light. Okay, from this exoplanet, but we will not be able to resolve it. Uh, typically, the minimum amount of pixel you need uh, is two pixels per resolution element. If you want to do you know, uh, a posteriori uh, uh, image deconvolution, like image processing techniques, okay? Uh, otherwise, you, you basically, you know, your, your frequency is, is too low and, and you're losing information. You're undersampling. Okay? Yes. So, so uh, because uh, the, one of the finest elements that we can actually observe, okay, uh, with uh, uh, the centimeter telescope is about 5 milliard seconds in size, uh, you need at least two pixels per resolution element. So your pixel is about the size of one milliseconds, two milliseconds. And is that what's going to have? On, is this that, camera, is that what the... on this camera, okay? Obviously, if you want to use a different camera, not dedicated to high special resolution, like the body force, for instance, okay? Your pixel will be much bigger. Okay. Because you don't want that. Well, let me, yeah. that just leads into what I was going to ask next, and I'll just ask it from Condor Boss. Um, have some of the elements like the mirrors and the cameras and the detectors uh, and actuators, have they started being built yet? Yes, yes, that's a very good question, okay. Um, okay, so uh, in terms of, uh, uh, I, I told you already about the optics, okay. Uh, we have, you know, the primary optics, we have about, you know, half of them made already, okay. Manufacturer, we need to produce them. We are already working on, on the edge sensors, the actuators, and that, you know, Something we haven't discussed is that TMT is really like an international partnership uh, with Japan, India, China, the USA, and Canada. Uh, the USA for now is only Caltech and University of California, but we expect to have the National Science Foundation actually joining. Oh, good. Uh, I was going to ask about that. Okay. And that will be the USA at large, okay, if that's the case. Um, uh, so already now, even without the USA at large, we, we are about half of the world population. We are presenting TMT, okay, with China and India, you know, on board. So that's quite quite something. Um, so what do I say that? I say that because when you build a telescope like that, okay, you have to share the wealth, okay? You have to share the knowledge. You have to share, uh, you know, the pleasure of actually building this telescope, okay? But also at the uh, economical level, some 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 partners want to learn because they don't know how to do that yet. Okay, so like for instance, India is in charge of uh, helping us putting together these actuators for the primary mirror and the edge sensors as well. Okay, so they are working on that, and we are actually working on on making the first prototypes. Okay, not the one that are going to they are not certified yet. They are not going to go under the uh, the primary mirror. Uh, but we are prototyping them as, as we speak. Great. Uh, uh, about, about the instruments, okay, that's an important point. Okay, sure. uh, I told you about the first light instrument being IRIS. There is also another one called Double Force. IRIS is currently, before building an instrument, you need to design it. 
okay? And because it's so complex, that you need to do that in phases. And uh, uh, iris is at the very last stage of design, okay? And, uh, uh, it, you know, it will be done in probably a year or two from now. And after this last phase of, phase of design, we'll be able to start building uh, the first instrument for TMT. And to tell you the truth, building an instrument for TMT takes a long time. It takes about 10 years. 10 years. Uh, I was going to ask since this was a... design and build an instrument. From, from the design to the completion of the instrument, so we can actually test it at the telescope, it takes about 10 years. Since this wow. is an infrared instrument, have you decided on a detector technology yet? Like, are they going to be Mercatel uh, chips, or what are they? Are they have that, yeah, has that been decided? Yeah, currently we are looking at uh, Hawaii uh, for RGs, okay, for this IRIS uh, instrument. Uh, we are also looking at other possibilities, okay, some other new new uh, detectors that might be uh, more sensitive and uh, uh, depending on the instrument you're looking at different technology and like i'm sorry you said it was between two and a half and one and a half microns something like that you know what yes you between, between one micron and 2.5 micron. one and two and a half okay, okay. great um super uh, do you have another oh, question chris yeah I, I do sorry go ahead. About that. Um, go. returning to the uh, pfi instrument i you know i was a lot of interest of course in exoplanets um one question that came up, Christoph, you mentioned that there would be a, a particular interest in going after cooler stars, like red dwarf stars, uh, finding planets for there. Would Do you think something like PFI could individually uh, identify, I won't say fully resolve, but identify the planets of, say, the TRAPPIST-1 system, like where you have several, seven planets close in together? Would it be able to do that, you think? Uh, I think uh, they are probably too close in, in order yeah. to be, um, you know, for this particular system. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's something you can do. You can do from transit spectroscopy. Okay. You Transits, can actually, of course. Yeah, exactly. But not not imaging. But a system that would be closer, yes, you could do that. Okay. But everything depends on the, what is the distance between us and the star itself. Right. That's why you want to look at you know these cool stars because. Uh, the cooler they are, okay, uh, the dimmer is a light coming from the star, so it's easier for us it is to detect these exoplanets. <laughs> I love this question. Upcycle electronics. What job opportunities Ooh. will this telescope create after construction yeah. is complete? What are the primary skills that will be needed after construction is completed? I love that. Yeah, it's a great Talk question. Talk about job uh, opportunities. Great question. Okay, well... Everything that's STEM-related, science, technology, engineering, math, okay, all of physics, all of this is going to be used, okay? Uh, so that means we need engineers in any field of engineering, um, structural engineers, mechanical engineers, system engineers, optical engineers, software engineers. And let me just point out, these are not necessarily PhDs, folks. No, exactly. Yeah. We need scientists, okay, astronomers, obviously, uh, to operate the telescope. Uh, but actually, interestingly, astronomers are, are the lowest represented among the, the staff of TMT, okay? We only need uh, something like a dozen astronomers to actually operate the TMT, while you need a total of about 150 people to, you know, make the, the telescope work. But that's, you know, I would say like science and technology is not only uh, 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 the field, okay? Of, of possibilities to actually get a job on such a telescope. We also need like regular jobs. We need administrative people. We need human resources people, business people, contract and procurement, all of these people, okay? Uh, people who are willing to do the maintenance of the telescope and the facilities. So it's like a, a mini company in itself, okay? So it, it has a wide spectrum of, uh, of profile in terms of job opportunities. Obviously, the focus is on STEM. Thank you. Uh, can you contact Tony to do a stream with him? Sounds like you would be a great guest on Deep Astronomy. Yeah, go ahead and do that. There is a contact form on my website. We'll talk. Uh, looking for guests all the time. Um, is Superluminal, is this primary, primarily for deep space observations, or are there any solar system targets the telescope will image? Well, we've already talked about Pluto. Yes, yes. Yeah, actually, uh, TMT would be quite good at observing solar system targets, okay, because it has... Um, um, 
you can actually track fast-moving objects, okay, including like near-Earth asteroids, asteroids that are, that basically come very close to the Earth, or comets that are come very close to the inner solar system. It will be able to track them and uh, and and study them quite efficiently. Got all that resolution, folks. That'll it'll hmm. be nice to point it at Mars. Uh, one more question from Superluminal: Since it is a parabolic scope, does that mean that the individual mirror segments are not identical? Yes, they are not. Okay, yes. that's a good question. Okay, uh, and actually, the telescope, you know, in itself, is split into several regions. Okay, and uh, each of these regions has something like eighty-two, I think, or maybe I'm, I might be wrong by, you know, uh, you know a few numbers of them, but eighty-two different segmented mirrors. Okay, and that are replicated across, you know, uh, the full. Uh, circumference of the uh, of the primary mirror, so all of them are different, and the hardest one to make are actually the one at the very edge, because they are uh, the ones that are the most warped. Okay, the one closer in, very close to the center, are more flat. Uh, so we are actually starting with these ones, okay, and then we are actually doing the other ones uh, uh, last. Yes, and so I'm as we were talking, I'm showing the final animation of a rendering of what this thing is going to look like. Um, we're, we're it sounds like we're looking at a decade or so, aren't we, Christoph? Before first light, yeah, at least. You know, like, let's assume that we start construction again next year. Uh, we hope to have first light of the telescope in 2027, 2028. So it takes a bit less than 10 years to build. Okay, uh, close to eight years. Uh, eight, nine years, okay, is probably like a, uh, you know, a, a good time frame to get first light. All right. And Fantastic. when you're talking about the uh, observing time on this, some of the things are going to require a almost a, a lot of survey time to be able to, like if you want to look at, at exoplanets or transits of exoplanets, you're looking at a lot of time. Will there be a time allocation process for astronomers and can they block off like large enough times to see uh, uh, enough light curves to maybe... Yes, that's that's a good question. Yes, okay, some some projects will need like a dedication of a lot of observing time in order to get either like a, a sample large enough of, of targets so you can actually answer your questions or go deep enough in terms of sensitivity, okay? Uh, or is sometimes a combination of both. Uh, so yes, there will be a time allocation process. Uh, each partner will, will basically manage his own time allocation process. Uh, but, I mean, some projects which are very large um, uh, and, and of interest of, of you know, all partners together uh, will require some special mechanism where each of these partners are actually putting in a pool of time, telescope time, some nights of telescope, in order to be able to actually carry along these large programs okay, that do require, like, uh, you know, hundreds of hours or hundreds of nights sometimes. Okay, and one final comment. the uh, What effect will this have on, as the construction is going on, with the other observatories, if any? I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. The, wait, the wait, what effect will the construction have uh, on the uh, other observatories on the mountain while oh, it's being be built? Will there be any interruption or impact to operations? <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, there will be some some noise disturbance during the day. We will not be working at night, okay? Only during the day, obviously. So, right. uh, so during the day, there will be some noise disturbances. Uh, there will be some creation of dust, okay? And we will monitor that. Uh, so depending on the wind direction, this might affect, you know, some other telescopes. <clears throat> um, we will reduce that as a minimum, okay, by basically watering the ground as much as we can, okay, but it's expensive to bring water up there because there is no water, obviously. Uh, uh, so we do whatever we can to minimize the impact on the observatory's operations. Uh, you know, something that we haven't mentioned is that this telescope will not be on top of Monakea, okay? It will be below the summit and quite far away from the other telescopes. I did okay. not know that. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, just to minimize the impact, the visual impact also, it will only be visible from 15% of the Big Island. Okay. So, mo you know, most of the time when you are on the Big Island, you will not be able to see the TMT unless you go on the mountain. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. So from the very northwest uh, part of the island, then you will be able to see the TMT, but from this very small section. And, and this is to help keep it keep it from appearing as like an eyesore to the exactly. ground. Yeah. Okay. Right. And this will also help, you know, 
decrease as much as possible uh, uh, the impact on the other observatory operation while, while we are building it. I noticed that the uh, the dome itself seems to have like a, almost like a brownish goldish color. I, I, do you know if that was chosen deliberately to kind of help blend in with the? No, with no, no. It, it would be like silver. Silver is the best. Uh, silver, you know, okay. Yes, you know, yeah. We had silver design. Okay, so some were was white, other was silver. It would be a light silver kind of light, uh, kind of color. Okay, well, we, we are out of time. I'm going to have to stop it there. I want to thank my guest, uh, Dr. Christophe Dubas. He is the TMT uh, telescope scientist as well as the operations head for the 30-meter telescope project. I cannot wait until this thing happens. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking time out, Christophe. I hope you'll consider maybe coming back as more progress is made on the in the project and maybe we can get some updates periodically. Yes. Oh. Uh, I'd be more than happy to give you some updates, obviously. Oh, that would be so Love good. to do it. Love to have you back. <laughs> All right. You. It was oh. a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I want to thank you guys for watching. Thanks, OPT Telescopes, for sponsoring these Hangouts. And as always, keep looking up. Thanks for watching, everybody.